With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. I mean, what's Pro Football Focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Today, we're going through all of the NFC team needs and looking ahead to the NFL draft and ways that they can fill them. Sam, how you doing right now on lockdown? Doing good, Steve. How about you? We're, uh, what are we doing? We're transitioning to Zoom for this today. Yeah, it's, you know, always, always trying a little something new, seeing how it goes. Um, so we appreciate everybody tuning into the podcast. I know it's a challenging time for many. Everybody stay safe out there. And yes, let's, uh, you know, just trying to use this podcast as a way to have some fun, talk some football. The NFL draft uh, supposedly going to be going on as expected from a time standpoint. So uh, we'll be covering it wall to wall over at PFF.com along the way. So you ready to get into it? Yeah, I think free agency gave them something of a green light to keep this thing going. You know, they they kind of trucked yeah. ahead with free agency. Everything went as planned, more or less. So they're going to be like, yeah, let's let's roll. Yeah, I mean, of all the major sports, obviously there are no games being played right now for the NFL. So there are ways around uh, doing all of this stuff, all of the team building season. So they've made the decision to move forward. So um, we did the AFC uh, two hours worth of the AFC on Thursday. So if you're an AFC fan or if your team's in the AFC, go check it out. 
But this is good, wholesome football discussion for everybody anyway. So we're going to go through the NFC quickly through all of your teams and what they need. So let's start with, uh, by the way, this is over at PFF.com, NFL offseason needs for all 32 NFL teams. We updated it after free agency. So we're going to go through every team in the NFC alphabetically, starting with the Arizona Cardinals. From a site standpoint, what our friend Ben Lindsay wrote was protection for Kyler Murray, along with some coverage help and maybe some interior defensive line help. But Sam, I think they have a legitimate decision to make at eight overall, given the awesome wide receivers on the board and the offensive tackles on the board, even with DeAndre Hopkins in the mix. Oh, man, would it be amazing if they still had a C.D. Lamb or a Henry Ruggs or a Jerry Judy there as well. Any thoughts on that eighth overall pick or what the Cardinals' biggest need is? I think their biggest need is protection. Um, I'm with Ben on this. I think, yeah, they still need – they could still use receivers. Um, but, A, so there's there's three things here. One, they have young guys on the roster that I assume they're going to expect to take steps forward in year two, Isabella, Hakeem Butler, et cetera, right? Two, it's a ridiculously deep wide receiver group this year. And there are going to be guys at the top of the second round that are good. There are going to be guys at the top of the third round that are good. So I think the Cardinals can wait on a receiver and still get a player that can impact year one. And three, their pass protection is still not good. So let's really address that first and foremost before we start adding the kind of the nice to have the luxury of more receiving help i think new copkins changed their entire offseason by meaning like this offseason was all about getting kyla murray some targets to play with they transformed that immediately in one move now you can look at the other side of it which is okay now let's shore up pass protection because i think that's the easier thing to kind of scheme up and cheat if you don't have it but now you don't have to do that. You can actually get it and, and be, have the best of both worlds. Yeah, the Cardinals were just outside the bottom 10 offensive lines last year. I wrote that up a couple of weeks ago, fixing the top 10 offensive lines or bottom 10 offensive lines. The Cardinals were the number 11 worst offensive line by our final rankings. They have some okay pieces in there with Justin Pugh, J.R. Sweezy, D.J. Humphreys at left tackle, but it's pretty much just okay. Justin Murray, big question mark at right tackle. So that would be the position that they need to fill. Just looking at our draft board, Andrew Thomas is our top option, but followed by Jed- Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, uh, and then Josh Jones from Houston. Those top three guys, Thomas, Wills, and Wirfs, all have played right tackle. They all have some experience at right tackle. Jedrick Wills was a right tackle last year for Alabama. So I think any of those guys, I think the best fits, prob- I mean, I love Thomas or Wirfs as far as best fits for Arizona. Um, I think Wills is a better run blocker than pass blocker. That's kind of where he makes his money. So uh, give me Thomas or Werfs as the top option there for Arizona. So um, I got a mock draft coming out this week, Sam. I'm sitting here debating that pick right now because I'm so tempted to just stock up on receivers and let those guys get open and let that be the way that you protect Kyler Murray. Where do you think a guy like Mekhi Becton is going to go? Because he's someone that we, the tape, and, and we generally are a little lower on, but obviously had the insane combine, is the sort of Mount McKinney physical freak of, of nature in terms of size, speed, movement. Um, where where do you think he's going to go rather than where can, he should go? Can we save the Becton talk for the Giants? I think that's where he's going to end up going at four. At four? Um, yeah, I really think he might go that high. The Giants. <laughs> The Giants, the Giants are the team that if you link them to a player 
if if they're being linked to the pl- to a player in the media, it, it's the one that comes true, right? They were linked to Saquon Barkley from the beginning two years ago. They were linked to Daniel Jones from the beginning last year. There's a lot of Becton talk. They need a right tackle, physical freak. It just you know checks all the boxes types of guy type of guy like that's. That's where I think he's going to go. Let's discuss Becton with the Giants because we have him as more of a second round pick. Right. And I can explain why. Yeah, that's fair. I'm fair enough. I just wanted to put his name in this mix as, you know, we wouldn't do it, but he's in this conversation in terms of top. And again, a player that played right right tackle as well, albeit in slightly different circumstances with Louisville's weird ass, you know, swapping around tackles according to last year he was back to left tackle but previously right. when um bobby petrino was in there it was like strong and weak tackles you got to play both which is um, the so, yeah. most absurd thing i've ever seen a line do by the way <laughs> it's kind of old school back in the day they used to do that all the time um yeah so he he's in the mix as well so i i think the cardinals like some other teams well positioned to fill a huge need with the tackle with their first pick moving on to the atlanta falcons uh, we put down cornerback as their biggest need after losing Desmond Trufant. I think even with Desmond Trufant, cornerback was going to be their biggest need. They also have the annual need of pass rushers and then linebackers. So it's a lot of defensive needs for the Atlanta Falcons. The cornerback position there, yes, has been uh, pretty depleted in recent years. We're talking about the, the, a depth chart right now of Isaiah Oliver, Jordan Miller, Bleedy Ray Wilson, Kendall Sheffield, your boy C.J. Revis, technically on there. Remember him Hmm. uh, from Marshall. Uh, So there are not a whole lot of names there, and it looks like the Falcons uh, might need to double up at cornerback in this draft. Yeah, and I think they're obviously one of those teams with a specific type of cornerback that they want. You know, they want they have a a style of cornerback that I think this this draft is actually well-stocked to attack. You know, there's a ton of guys that actually fit that mold in terms of longer corners that play well in zone, that have a little bit of versatility in the shorter game. So I think this is a pretty good draft for them to actually identify one of those guys and target them and go after them with their first pick, which is the one who's the who's the one guy that you would want to put there. I like I like C.J. Henderson for the um, for the cover. I'm going to say C.J. Henderson for the Falcons and maybe the, the Cowboys for those teams that are playing uh, the cover three heavy scheme, the Seattle scheme, not necessarily because of the length. I just really like the way he plays in off coverage, and you're going to see a lot of that. I think, he, and he's just got really good ball skills and athleticism. Coming off not a great year, but you just kind of like you see the traits there. And he was uh, he was excellent in, in 2018. Is there a guy that you like? Because uh, like we've put Trevon Diggs to Seattle mm. because of his exact. I don't think Atlanta or Dallas needs the exact same you know length. Uh, specifications that say um, Atlanta has. I think uh, Diggs might be a better fit for Seattle, but I really yeah. like Henderson for the Dallas and Atlanta schemes. I think Jalen Johnson and A.J. Terrell, the Utah and Clemson cornerbacks, I think make a lot of sense here. Um, I'm also, so I'm kind of fascinated by Bryce Hall. I think he has a ton of potential in this kind of system. He's obviously going to go lower down. This isn't their first round pick or first pick. Um, I, but I think Bryce Hall... He's the he's the sort of X factor of this cornerback group to me because obviously injury and bad play last year, but the year before was really good. And when you throw on that tape, there is so much to like about his game. But even then, it's very kind of scheme specific and it's scheme specific in a slightly weird way in that he's good at either 
the sort of off zone coverage or being tight press on, on the underneath stuff, right? But you don't want him playing like either off man coverage or you don't want him trying to track guys in man coverage for any kind of long period of time. You know, you want him basically manned up at the line, getting physical and stopping quick routes or bailing and playing deeper off the line, uh, deeper into coverage, which is kind of kind of the same MO as Richard Sherman, right? You don't really want him exposed to anything in the middle, but he can get physical with people at the line of scrimmage or he can bail and, and play deep. And either of those two things he's really good at, but anything in the middle is iffy. Yeah, Bryce Hall is one of those players in this draft that could be um, high pay a high payout where you're going to get him right. coming off of injuries and maybe they don't get to... Uh, get a good medical check because of the virus and all that stuff. So uh, we'll see what happens with Bryce Hall. Uh, staying in the division, Carolina Panthers next up. Uh, our boy Lindsey says, almost every position on defense is a need. Tough to argue there. They've had some turnover in the secondary. Luke Keekley retiring. Man, it is from a rock. Luke Keekley was awesome. Loved watching that guy play. It is such a challenge when you just, you know, you just have this guy on the roster every year and then all of a sudden he's gone. You don't, there's no compensation for him. He just retires. That is a tough position to fill, um, which makes me very tempted by Isaiah Simmons in the first round as another athletic playmaker. You know, he's the one guy I would say could be on that cornerback value level for a, you know, for like an in the box type of player. You want to try and fill all of the positions they need on defense with one guy. I, I so see what Simmons, you're doing. It's the guy. Yeah. Then trade for Taysom Hill, and you got the offense solved, and you're good. The offense with one guy and the defense with one guy. Poor old Teddy. What if he winds up being uh, outshone by Taysom Hill all over again? Oh, um, man. Amazing. Yeah, Simmons is interesting to me because I honestly, I'm like I say, I, I keep coming back to this idea of the most intriguing thing about him, about his college tape to me, was how Clemson deployed him not necessarily what he did, which isn't to say that he wasn't good. Like he was really excellent at what they asked him to do. And, you know, his PFF grades have been fantastic, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's a great player, but I honestly wonder if he's, if people are more in love with the idea of what he can do than with his actual play. And the problem with that is it relies on a defense actually deploying him that way. And I just don't know that, any of the NFL ones are going to. Um, and if you don't, how valuable is that? Again, it's not to say that he won't be good. He might be really good at the standard NFL pigeonhole role that he gets thrown into, but how valuable and how impactful will that be compared with this sort of the myth of what you could have with this do-it-all, jack-of-all-trades, you know, position-redefining defender that never really exists unless you embrace that and change everything to hang around it. I, I, you know, I'm tempted by, by it as well. I don't know if he has to be this jack of all trades type of guy. I think there's a world where he's the, the traditional strong safety cover three safety where he's got incredible range uh, in zone underneath. He could fly to the ball in the run game. And, and then he's just a little game plan specific when you have to face, you know, a mobile quarterback, you know, whoever that might be. Um, and, and then on nickel and dime, you know, he could play more of a linebacker. I don't think he, he's not going to play slot corner for right. you. You know what I mean? So the fact that he did that for Clemson, um, can he, is he going to walk out against the tight end? Sure. Like that, that's versatility, but you don't really have to play him at 15 different positions. It was kind of like Jabril Peppers coming out 
where, oh, he played 15 different positions. It's like, well, he's probably better off as a strong safety slash linebacker. I mean, ultimately, I think that's where Simmons um, should be. So um, I like uh, I like him as a potential fit I'm kind of, for the Panthers. I'm kind of intrigued by Simmons as an every-down linebacker, by the way. I mean, everyone yeah. seems to have him pegged basically as a, as a safety. Um, but I'm actually almost more intrigued by him as a linebacker in a sort of Fred Warner mold. Um, you know, Fred Warner, the big, uh, not concerned, the big question mark for him was how you evaluate that position that he played, right? At, at BYU, right? That he played that walkout linebacker thing that doesn't really exist as an NFL position, but a ton of colleges use it, use it where you have, you basically, you keep a linebacker on the field, but that guy sort of plays a hybrid between linebacker and slot cornerback um, to deal with the fact, deal with all these spread offenses and the fact that the, the field is wider because of the hash marks, right? So if you're on the far hash, you're suddenly covering a, a huge amount of extra space. But that position doesn't really exist in the NFL. So you're kind of looking at these guys who never have to deal with a pulling guard coming you know, into their, uh, into their field of view against the run. But on the other hand, they have a ton of experience basically playing slot cornerback, covering wide receivers. It worked out really well for Fred Warner, who a lot of guys loved. I, I would be really intrigued by Simmons essentially transitioning to a pure linebacker role based off that experience. Yeah, it's not a bad thought there. Um, the Panthers sitting there at seven. They've got a few different options, but um, you know they're in a position where they have to they have to fill the old the old school best player available. You think they're definitely uh, out of the quarterback market with the Teddy thing? No, because I think they've done some smart some smart things. You know, people are like hey, are they rebuilding or are they winning? You know, trying to win now. I think they're doing the complete rebuild. While also saying, hey, there's at least a percentage chance. This is how you look at quarterback. There's at least a percentage chance that Teddy Bridgewater's the starter, right? So I think they've done some smart things, which keeps them in the in the running to do other smart things, which is draft more quarterbacks. Now, I don't love taking just, Justin Herbert in the top ten as a flyer. I'm probably going to do it for the Chargers in the in in the mock just because of where their where their draft is, but um, or where their roster is. So. No, I don't think they're completely out of the market. They're not completely tied to Teddy beyond two years. So. They're, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're even tied to him as long as that, to be honest. Um, yeah. I think it depends entirely on how they view the second tier of quarterbacks. Obviously, the two, uh, 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 Joe Burrow thing is, is 1-1-A, and then everyone is all over the map in terms of Justin Herbert. If they are as in love with Herbert as the Giants were with Daniel Jones, I think they'll take him because... You know, the the Teddy contract, I think, is slightly more secure than the Mike Glennon contract was when Chicago signed him to that, right? In that it's like a year and a half rather than a, than a year, but effectively the same thing, right? Mike Glennon signed, we was like, oh, Chicago's got a new starter based off that crazy run. They didn't. Like a month later, they drafted his replacement, and like a year later, the guy was on the street again. They cut him. Right. So I think Teddy's a little bit more secure than that, and I think he's on the roster for two years but it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if he wasn't starting in 2021. Um, so, yeah, I think if, yeah, they, a, if they love Herbert, I think they'll take him there. There's a lot of moves like that through the years. That was the old, um, just uh, lost his name now, Packers quarterback that went to Seattle. Packers quarterback that went to Seattle. Hasselbeck? No. Uh, right before they drafted Russell Wilson, they, Matt Flynn. Oh, Flynn. Right? They gave him the money. 
yeah, you know, as the starter, but it was really like, you know, you're kind of a placeholder. Mike Lennon was a placeholder. Sam Bradford was a placeholder before Josh Rosen got in there. Now, Bradford was an expensive one because, you know, guy just made $140 million playing in the NFL. Um, anyway, yeah, so I think they're check. very much. You were acting like I was an idiot, but Matt Hasselbeck does take those parameters. No, I, I'm not. I know. <laughs> just not the guy I was thinking of. Of course, Matt Hasselbeck was a former Packer turned I know, you, just, you were so disgusted by the guess. I had to check that I hadn't just made up no, that he had a Packers my, career before you went to Seattle. My disgust was with me. Okay. Not you. That's the fine. fact that I couldn't remember Matt Flynn's name for a, for a half second. So anyway, Panthers uh, attack the defense and also, uh, you know, take the best player, grab some quarterbacks and uh, and see what happens. All right. Chicago Bears. They don't have a pick until the second round, but they have two of them. And, you know, I follow a lot of Bears fans. They're already talking about tackle. They're looking at the tackle market and the cornerback market um, as far as uh, what the fans are looking at. Uh, We wrote down two starting pieces in the secondary uh, again, a challenge for for team building here, a team that was really just solid across the board. And then, you know, you release a guy like Prince of Mukamara and all of a sudden you've got some some holes. There was in the offensive line regressed last year really unexpectedly. They were the epitome of creep back toward average. They were the mid tier offensive line that every, everybody just got worse last year, um, as did your boy Mitch Trubisky. So um, everybody's your boy. So. They have to uh, get better in a couple of those places, secondary plus offensive line. So it's interesting. I think a lot of I think this is one of those examples like the Patriots where the root cause of the regression was not that right. The Patriots root cause of the offensive line getting worse was not the offensive line. It was the fact that no receivers were getting open in Chicago. I think it's the same thing, except the root cause was Trubisky, not the receivers You're him for everything. Yeah. Um so I would have said originally, like you, sw- you swap out Trubisky, you bring in a new quarterback and everything looks better immediately, right? The scheme, the play calling, the offensive line, probably the receivers. But the quarterback they brought in was Nick Foles, who has a tendency of that sort of obliviousness in the pocket deal. I don't yeah. know if he's making your offensive line look dramatically better. Now, it might make it look some degree better because you should be better than Trubisky, but... Like that, you know, had they brought in, they had options, I think, that would have made that offensive line look dramatically better by just being a better pocket presence type of quarterback. Like, do you know how many sacks Trubisky was blamed for last year that we tried? It was, it was over 10, right? 17. 17. Wow. Which would have been, I think, now, the that wouldn't figure that doesn't That doesn't affect our offensive line grades, but it just kind Correct. of shows what he's what he's doing to the pass protection. Right. That right. specific, that number specifically doesn't affect those grades. But right. when a guy is getting charged for 17 sacks in and of himself, like he is having a detrimental effect on the offensive line overall, even if it's not showing up in those numbers, it's showing up across the board in terms of pass protection and everything else. So you swap back Trubisky, it should get better. Um, but I think I'm concerned by the idea that Foles was the quarterback they brought in because I don't know that he is naturally inclined to help out an offensive line. Yeah, and I want to discuss the secondary just a little bit and the the way that's changed since 2018. Remember, Prince of Mukamara, who we say, you know, he's been just really solid throughout the majority of his career, wherever he's been. He took a little bit of a step back last year, but it was him and Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan playing really well in the slot. Last and they had Adrian Amos back there. Last year went from Amos to Haha Clinton Dix, who we think you know that was a bit of a, a, a slight step down. Haha's gone. Uh, 
Buster Screen replacing Bryce Callahan last year is still the case right now. We think that's a step down. And now Artie Burns comes in as of right now, the projected starter where Prince of Mukamara was. We're talking three out of five positions likely from 2018 to now, 18 when they had the top defense in the NFL, uh, three out of five positions in the secondary, all taking at least a slight step back from there. So I think that's why uh, that's a position that they need to attack. Um, and they don't have the first round pick to do it, but a lot of these first round corners that we talk about first round on our board, the same names, AJ Terrell and Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dantzler, those guys that are in our top 40 all seem to be pretty good fits that, that could be available there in the second, because the NFL is just going, they're going to value run stopping defensive interior D linemen and guards and some of these other positions late first and early second that we're not. So that's why our draft board is filled with corners on the back end of the first round. So um, who's the guy I was about to say that? I, I think Jalen Johnson for that scheme for Utah, just to name him again, I think would be uh, one of their best case scenarios with their first second round pick. They, they feel like a team that could easily double up a corner as well because suddenly yep. that secondary is a pretty big hole. Um, and guys, I think, lower down potentially than even that that might make a lot of sense. Troy Pride from Notre Dame, I think, has the potential to be a, not just a good player and a sort of steal for where he gets drafted, but a guy that could actually be good right away, which is not necessarily something you can bank on for cornerbacks, even ones taken at the top of the draft. Again, I'm kind of coming back to this idea of if you show up well at the Senior Bowl during the week of practices, I think it trans. I think it sh- it speaks to the ability to translate quickly, right? It's not necessarily that you have the highest ceiling or that you're going to be the best player, but it means that you're already at a certain level that can step in and play at the NFL quickly, right, and do well. Yeah. Troy Pride, I think, showed up well, even against the receivers that were dominating that week. Um, but one other name that I like, I, I don't think he'll be there though, but Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama, another guy where it's like, okay, you're hearing first round for him. Safeties are really weird in the NFL. You, you sometimes you get a random guy coming out of nowhere and he'll be a first round pick, but McKinney's got slot covering skills, which again, I think the bears need. And generally worst case, he becomes a strong safety opposite Eddie Jackson, another, you know, former Bama player. So um, I, I think secondary. And then the second tier of, uh, offensive tackles it could be in there. Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, Ben Barch, the good old St. John's. Uh, you know those guys. If they don't, if they don't go a little bit higher, could be available there. Good old St. In John's. the second round. Good old St. John's. Uh, Dallas Cowboys next up on the list. They're sitting there in the middle of the first round. Uh, from a needs standpoint, we said, hey, a cornerback to replace Byron Jones. Once again, don't love when you have to you know, fill this exact need from uh, free agency, but, but it's a, you know, it's a question mark, other look, you know, other places to look edge defender. And then that third receiving option, very intriguing, I think for Dallas. I know there's a guy that you love to fit there, but I think cornerback, certainly another team that that's prioritizing that in the draft. Dallas are interesting because from a strategy team building way of doing things point of view, they go about things completely differently to pretty much everybody else, which is probably to be expected when the owner is the GM. Um, we talked about that before, right? It's like, frankly, why the hell not? Otherwise, what's the point in owning the team? The dude is just out there playing real-life fantasy football in his giant Jerry bus and his giant yacht and all power to him, to be honest. But it means that they go about things in a different way. So they are actually perfectly 
content with going into the draft saying, all right, all we have left to fill is position X, which in this case is cornerback. So we are going to have a draft board that go that really targets um, these specific positions and like they will go hard after cornerback in the first round. And, you know, I, all right, I don't think that's necessarily the best way of doing it, but the thing the is, they though, they might not be is the thing. So it depends on how you look at needs. And, you know, this is my one of my big draft axioms is that you, you don't draft just for this year. Uh, you're not just drafting to fill out the 2020 roster. So if you look at the 2020 roster for the Cowboys, they put themselves in a position where they had to overpay for Anthony Brown and bring him back. You have Cheetah Bay Awuzie and Jordan Lewis, two guys who were drafted in the 2017 draft, second and third round. From a depth chart perspective, it's not bad on paper. Anthony Brown, Cheetah Bay Awuzie, Jordan Lewis. But you also have safety Xavier Woods. Also drafted in that 2017 draft, all of those guys have contracts expiring at the end of the year. So from a need perspective, absolutely corners a need. However, that need is a two-year need. And I don't think every team actually looks at things like that. So uh, that is that is not – it depends on what Dallas is looking at here, to be honest, Sam. I don't know if they're looking from a two-year perspective. That's one of those things that – the smart teams always do. The Eagles are one year ahead. The Patriots are one year ahead. If they're smart, they'll be one year ahead. Plus, they could say, hey, we can upgrade over the guys that are here anyway. But I could see them saying, look, Travis Frederick just uh, just retired. Is center now this exact spot that we need to fill? Uh, is edge rusher opposite Demarcus Lawrence something we, we need to fill? A.J. Epinesa maybe being a guy there that, that fits. Um, so I, I really think it just depends on how Dallas views this thing. I mean, I think just they've made a lot of moves that are very like win now moves, whether it's Gerald McCoy coming in. That's not a long term deal. Dontari Poe certainly is not a long term thing either. Ha, all these all these moves are like one year wonder type of deals. Right. Or at least in, in terms of impact and players that you expect to be good now, but not necessarily in the future. Um, obviously, you've got the Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper um, hookup as well. I mean, I think they basically are going to be asking themselves, what is the most immediate need we have? That's what we're targeting in the first round. Uh, You mentioned Denzel Mims as a guy that you loved at wide receiver. Uh, I'm not really playing fantasy football when I do this. I really think it's a way to to dominate in the to give yourself a chance to win in the NFL is is to at least roll three deep at receiver, especially with different skill sets, if you have that. And between Michael Gallup. Amari Cooper, and then a, a guy with some deep speed like Denzel Mims in a red zone thread and all the stuff that he brings to the table, man, that would look that would look pretty nice if you're trying to get another really highly productive year out of Dak Prescott. Yeah, it would. I mean, I think Mims is a fantastic fit there. I think he's a fantastic fit in a bunch of different situations. I'm kind of intrigued by their receiver group because I think it's actually deeper than those first two guys, the Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper thing I'm, I'm i don't know if they're going to use cedric wilson more but i think he's got some ability and then i have no idea why they stopped using devin smith last year like when they had injuries devin smith became a factor having been you know drug up from the dead like lazarus um he, his, reference thank you he's he has deep speed right he was one of our favorite deep threats in the draft that he was drafted and then like back-to-back acls or whatever happened to him 
and his career was basically done, he came back and was actually a factor for Dallas when they were uh, forced to, to forced to go deeper into the depth chart because of injuries. And then suddenly everybody's healthy and he just vanishes. Like he, he played the kind of role where, you know, this happens a lot, right? Guys get injured. Somebody shows up. It's like, Ooh, we've actually discovered something here. Let's integrate this guy into the offense more as we go. Only they didn't do that. They just went, okay, that was interesting. And then bye, and never used him again. I'm team Devin Smith. Absolutely. So I like him as a potential option. So um, so, yeah, I'll be looking to see, does Dallas actually think cornerback is a need because it's a multi-year need, not a, 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 you know, an essential this year need necessarily. Do they try to fill Travis Frederick's shoes early in the draft immediately? They go, are they good with uh, Joe Looney there uh, or do they just continue to invest in this offense, which they've invested in? Heavily. Or Connor McGovern. He's a guy that a lot of Dallas people, I think, are talking up as someone that has the potential to step in and uh, and actually make a difference there. Just really helping the confusion with there being two Connor McGoverns in the NFL if they both become starting at center. Yeah, that's it's not helpful at all. No. All right, let's move on to the Detroit Lions. As far as specific needs, we're talking about starting options at guard, pass rushers, cornerback. Uh, those secondary needs, pass rushers and cornerback, I think that's where their debate's going to be at number three overall in the draft. There's that outside chance that Chase Young is available there. Uh, we expect Jeffrey Akuda to be there. A lot of people have already paired the Ohio State cornerback with the Lions. I think that would be their best option. Could they be in the Isaiah Simmons market as just a defensive all-around playmaker? I, d- I don't think so, but what are your thoughts on the Lions, their needs, what they're going to do at three? Yeah, I think Akuda makes a ton of sense there. Obviously, they trade away Darius Slay. They now need to replace a, what they had in Darius Slay in terms of a number one star shutdown corner that can actually hold up in man coverage, you know, constantly, which is what they run. Even Slay was struggling relatively in that system compared with where his previous baseline is. So I think if the guy like Akuda is there, they need to go after him because that's the guy that's going to make that system function. Yeah, I think that's the answer there. Akuda compare, uh, paired with Desmond Trufant, who they bring in in free agency, Justin Coleman in the slot, and, and there's your there's your group of man coverage corners. If Chase Young is on the board for whatever reason, yeah, then this is this is realistic, right? Miami trades up to two for Tua. Mm-hmm. I think that's a realistic possibility. There's a very slight chance Washington actually takes Tua, but either way, there's a there's a chance that Tua goes at two. And you're faced with a Chase Young versus Jeffrey Okuda decision as the the Detroit Lions. What's the option there? Well, I think all of the PFF data says go with the coverage. Um, Interestingly, I think this would be a situation where the Lions would go with the coverage as well. Because I honestly don't know that they are a team... There's a lot of teams I think would go the other way, right? Given the choice between the two, I think a lot of teams would take Chase Young, whether it's because they think he is a better player in a vacuum, whether it's because they think they're more confident in his sort of floor, how good he's going to be, have the certainty with which he's going to be good. I think a lot of teams would come down on the side of Chase Young. I think the Lions, the way they're doing things, actually wouldn't. I don't know how much that system values a true elite speed edge rusher, which is Chase Young's thing. I think they would actually lean on the coverage side of things the way that system has for years in terms of prioritizing, you know, Revis as a free agent addition, prioritizing 
um, Stephon Gilmore as the guy that gets the big money instead of any of their defensive linemen. I think the Lions would actually make the right choice, albeit potentially for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that they would as well. Also, in a vacuum, we think Chase Young's a better player than Akuda as well. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, how much is that going to help you win games? And I think the real, the balance, it, it's not just coverage versus pass rush. Hey, what's more valuable in a vacuum? It's also the confident le- confidence level that you have in Chase Young being a top-end player at the next level. That is going to be higher than it is for a guy like uh, Jeffrey Okuda. So you're balancing uh, a little bit of the unknown, a little bit of risk reward uh, versus, you know, you know, when you're when you're debating these two teammates. So what becomes really interesting to me in that scenario is that you have a Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda decision at three. How far can you trade down and still get one of those two guys? Because potentially like the Giants, I don't know that the Giants are taking um, Okuda almost regardless of what happens. Right. Right. So let's say you trade down. um you can probably go past the Giants, whoever the, the Redskins are going to be at five. They would probably take Chase Young if he's still there. Um, well, I think the Giants would take Young at four. Or you're saying somebody would somebody goes up and gets Young at three. If you're well, the Lions, you, so, trade, yeah. you trade down. If you trade down, somebody is presumably coming up for Chase Young. Yeah. Right. So you can go down past four because the Giants probably aren't taking Akuda. The Redskins at five probably would. So you probably can't you probably can't do any better than going down. You probably can't do any better than swapping with the Redskins, right? See, I, I think I could see the Redskins taking a tackle there. Maybe. And, 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 and not to give away my mock completely, I got the Redskins at five thinking, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the best tackle on the board here, fill my left tackle spot. Trent Williams is going to get traded and all that stuff's going to happen. So then I think you're looking at six and the Chargers – even though that's your favorite spot for Akuda, I don't see them investing that much more at the cornerback position. I think you're talking Carolina at seven. And I honestly, I think Carolina coming up for Chase Young could be a possibility. They could be one of the teams that the, I don't think the Chargers would do it at six. Uh, maybe, maybe Washington still wants to. Mm-hmm. Maybe Washington can can have their cake and eat it too, Sam, as they say. Maybe they could trade down and then trade back up again. Well, that's what I'm so saying. Everybody's thinking Washington at two is just going to take Chase Young. Could they manipulate the draft, draft, trade down, pick up some extra picks from Miami, and then flip back up to three and grab Young a slot lower? I mean, when you when you look at tra- or when you look at trades, everybody is looking for like win win trades. Potentially, that's win-win for three different teams, right? That's the Dolphins getting to trade up and get Tua. That's Washington essentially getting to drop one spot but pick up extra picks in doing so. Um, And then that's the Lions getting to drop, what, two spots and still pick up the guy that they wanted all along at three in Jeffrey Okuda. Let's let's concoct a nice baseball-driven three-way deal. You don't have enough three-way deals in, in the NFL. So we're going to have to draw that up. Uh, I might do that for my mock this week. We'll do it for yours. Let's, let's save it for our podcast mock. Oh, yeah. We're the GMs. We right. can do it. We're going to do a, a mock next week, PFF NFL podcast mock draft. You guys are going to love it. I mean, you're really going to hate it, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it anyway. All right. So that's the Lions. Let's move on in the division. Green Bay Packers, they're at the back end of the first round, as they usually are. They've got the 30th pick. 
of the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth rounds. That's, you know, just a uh, pretty basic, you know, rounds one through five. They're picking where they're slotted. I've said a few times now, I think Green Bay would be, uh, you know, wise to consider the double up at wide receiver. But I, I think at least one guy, playmaker at wide receiver, is the biggest need. We've, we've said on the website, back end of the first round, there should be some good options. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm surprised they, well, no, they did do something in free agency, but it was signing Devin Funches. Um, I'm surprised they didn't do something more significant in free agency to address that receiver group. Because, so I, I think, I don't think they want to write off the young guys on the roster yet. But on the other hand, we saw last year, they really weren't ready to be a consistent factor or threat in that offense, or at least a consistent boost to Aaron Rodgers. So they need to do something. Um, I don't know that Funches is moving the needle on that in a way that, say, Emmanuel Sanders would have, but they didn't go that route. So are they are they in a spot where they're willing to write those guys off and draft a set or take a second shot at it in terms of drafting? Or have they essentially decided in a way the 49ers did a year ago? No, we like the youth and the development of this group. We're going to give them another year and see how that goes and instead pivot their attention to a different position. So I'm kind of fascinated by the Packers because you're right. A receiver makes a ton of sense here. On the other hand, it did in free agency as well, and they didn't seem interested. So here's why I do think it makes sense still, though, because I think, again, it's about it's about your options. It's about having different you know, versatile options. They just added Devin Funches, who's essentially a glorified tight end. That's also what Alan Lazard is. Uh, Mercedes Lewis isn't even a glorified tight end. He's a glorified offensive tackle. It's almost like all their positions are... You know, you know, move, you know, they're one position away, all of these guys and their skill sets, right? And uh, Valdez Scantling, he's got some good size and some speed and everything. I think there's plenty of room for a shorter speedster like a Jalen Rager, you know, the TCU wide receiver who's got incredible burst, add some field stretching ability. And then I think it makes the Alan, Alan Lazards and Devin Funchesses of the world uh, a little bit more valuable because you can have those guys work the middle of the field. I still am a big fan of Jay Sternberger, last year's third-round tight end. So as much as I joke about Mercedes Lewis, he's not going to be their top receiving option at tight end anyway. I think they're good with a Sternberger. They could add another tight end later in the draft as well for some depth. But I think they, they're they a deep threat away from having maybe you know a solid, versatile group of receivers. And Rodgers has some options now one of the best route runners in the NFL with Devontae Adams, whatever deep threat that they add, and then some big-bodied receivers who Rodgers is still really good at throwing the ball up and away from coverage and giving those guys opportunities to make plays. So I still think they're in the market, but maybe not as much the double up as as I uh, initially thought. Yeah, and I think they could use – there's a couple of different types of receiver I think that would make some sense. The deep threat would make sense, and I think those sort of quick – run after the catch guys would make a ton of sense. So again, it, honestly, when you look at this roster, it's really not in bad shape. Like they're actually in a pretty good spot in a lot of places. Um, I, I think they addressed in free agency, the kind of glaring holes again, they, like we talked about the smart thing of making sure you don't roll into the draft with a giant need, the needs filling uh, above all other costs of value and, and all that kind of stuff. The Packers have ticked all that off so they can actually go into this draft and target areas that make sense. Um, so I think receiver does make some sense, whether it's a Jalen Rager in round one, whether you wait a little bit and go for like a Brandon Ayuk in round two, a guy that's got speed, got run after the catch skills that can catch slants all day and, you know, take them 50 oh. yards. 
I'm waiting for you to name one other guy. When when you said smaller after the catch ability, I thought you were going to go with Hamler, KJ Hamler. Also, I mean, you do the same thing, right? I, same idea, whether it's a Brandon Ayuk in round two, whether it's a Hamler in two or three. Um, the other position I think that they could target, though, is cornerback, right? Because Kevin King, I would say that experiment is kind of running its course. Um, we haven't seen enough yet from Josh Jackson to suggest that that is a viable starter going forward, even though we loved him at the time. Do they go uh, cornerback with their top pick, which is, again, going to be an area of decent value at that point, and you know, pick up wide receiver in the second or third round where there should still be plenty of value and plenty of players that fit the right style that they want to uh, they want in that role the one other position the Packers fans try to mock draft for them every single year is linebacker because the Packers hardly ever invest high picks in linebackers if you're looking at a Patrick Queen out of LSU as a really athletic option or Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma those would be the guys in the back end of the first round it's just not really in their nature they added Christian Kirksey this offseason so um, I'm not expecting that, but those would be the two guys to, to potentially keep an eye on at linebacker and then I if think, the Packers are going to go that route. Then I think generally depth on the offensive line because it's still in a good place, but you know you, you swap out um, right tackle for Rick Wagner in free agency. It's a group that I think could use some sound youth backup or at least uh, you know a future succession plan in a couple of spots. All right, let's move on to the Los Angeles Rams. Now, they are in a spot where they've they've pushed their cards to the middle of the table, so to speak, right? They've had to they've made a, a few short-term decisions over the last couple of years. Jalen Ramsey, uh, big trade last year, so they don't have a first-round pick. They have six picks, uh, one in each round starting in round 2. So it's not a big need-filling type of draft. They just Man, they just got Michael Brockers thrown back at them from the Baltimore Ravens, and they gave him the same ten million dollar a year contract. I don't think I don't know if that's official yet. That's the part of that that doesn't make any sense to me. No, not at all. Now, like I, I don't, I don't even know what the details were in terms of why that. I mean, he failed a physical. Is that what happened, or they just decided no later? What? Why? Why did that I, deal collapse? I just caught rumors of stuff. I'm not sure what it officially was. Okay, but I assume whatever it was, right? The, the the deal did not go through when it was assumed done because of something unexpected. At right. which point your price goes down because whatever it was, we didn't know about it before. But now Plus we do. They just paid for his replacement, Ashawn Robinson, on a two year contract right. where he's making eight or nine million. So there's at least two different ways in which that guy's contract demands should have gone downwards, and yet. They didn't. They gave him th- what? Like that? I don't know. That's so bizarre. I, I wrote a whole article on Friday about how you don't pay run stoppers, and right? And the examples I was days. using. Well, I was the example I was using was Michael Brockers, Ashawn Robinson, Michael <laughs> Pierce, and a couple others. And it was five different teams who did it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, sorry, Rams, you're the two guys. You're you've got two out of the five guys I was using as an example that you overpaid. Now on the flip side, I was highlighting guys. Uh, historically in the middle rounds that you could find that became good run stoppers. Michael Pierce is one of them. Like Michael Mm -hmm. Pierce is a a very good player on his first contract. Very uh, valuable player for what you want to do early downs on his first contract. But once you pay him, he's not Greg Gaines last year's fourth round pick for the Rams. Like if he has four or 500 snaps on the field, most of which are against the run, he could do what a Sean Robinson or Michael Brockers does. Uh, or maybe and maybe even better after uh, elite seasons 
at the University of Washington as a run stopper. So from a team building standpoint, they also bring in Leonard Floyd on the edge to replace Dante Fowler. They take a step back in the pass rush department and probably improve their run defense there, too. So I don't know if this is just a team philosophy saying, hey, we have to beat the 49ers. They're the team we need to beat. They ran all over everybody last year. The Seahawks are going to establish the hell out of the run, so we're going to stop that as well. It could just be part of what they're trying to do. Uh, but either way, they're, they're heading into the draft uh, with you know some question marks on the offensive line. Again, um, it's not that there's massive holes all, along the roster, but um, they I think they're, they're in a position where they have to really hit on some picks because they invested so heavily uh, in bigger-name players the last couple of years. Yeah, you see, their problem is they pushed all their chips into the middle of the table last year and ended up with a busted flush. Um, and now they're in like, I don't know what you, what you do after that, but you just lost a ton of money, essentially, which is the problem they're currently experiencing. They thought they were rolling. By the way, did you see that tweet from the Bengals no. with the poker hand? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. They were like, when you're sitting on a good hand, and it was, it was what looked like a straight flush, except one of the cards was a club instead of a spade. So it was only actually a straight and it was like, that is the most amazing set. And it was they it's picked like, the wrong card. Yeah. It's like, there's no way that isn't deliberate, right? You couldn't accidentally do that. Like, it's too perfect. But they deleted the tweet. So it must have been like they it's that couldn't have been written any better. Like the Bengals thought they were sitting on a straight flush, but it turns out it's actually just a straight. It's still a good hand. I mean, it's still good, but it's not that like kind of sums. it's an important distinction Bengals, when you're talking about throwing all your money into the middle of the table. That sums up the Bengals, though. They're good enough to make the playoffs. I mean, they're not going to win a Super Bowl, but they're good enough to get into the playoffs. Right. It's just straight. I mean, it was it was the most beautiful metaphor ever that like we think we're sitting on basically the best hand possible, but it turns out it's only actually pretty good. Anyway, as far as the Rams, uh, O-line potential options. Uh, look, Andrew Whitworth. Yes, he signed a three year deal at our age. Um <laughs> Rob uh, Havenstein still question marks as far as how did he go from four years of really good to one year of terrible. So, you know, you could those tackles that we mentioned earlier, the Ezra Cleveland's of the world from Boise State could be in play. Our top guards could be in play. Jonah Jackson from Ohio State. I mean, is that the way is that where you think the draft falls for them as far as round two? It's really weird. So the Rams had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL last season. It was an absolute wreck in a season that was historic for disastrous offensive lines. Of those offensive lines, there are more than one that I think are just hopeless, right? They have no, there's no means of salvaging what is there in terms of the starting five group. The Rams, I can see a scenario whereby this offensive line quickly goes back to being average, right? Absolutely. Like, I think Whitworth is already fine, unless Whitworth takes a massive step back, which at some point will come, despite the fact that the dude is 38, right? At some point, he will get worse in a hurry. Um, so unless that happens this year, he'll be solid. Havenstein, there's a scenario easily where he goes back to being a good right tackle, not just being an average guy, but good. And then I think that interior trio, we have seen decent play from more than one of them. I think that unit, there's a scenario whereby they quickly go back to being an average group. On the other hand, yeah. it's the same guys that were disastrous a year ago. So you probably want to have some form of contingency and or replacement plan for the ones that don't. I'd also say, other than having an heir apparent for Whitworth at left tackle, I think they've approached this the right way. They traded for Austin Corbett last year from you know, from Cleveland, drafted Brian Allen. Uh, just in the last couple of drafts, they brought in Brian Allen, Joseph Nopum, David Edwards, Bobby Evans. I mean, that, in the middle rounds. I mean, that is kind of the way 
to build the offensive line. Um, and you kind of hope that, you know, one or two of those guys from the 18 and 19 draft classes develop. And then, yeah, you're right. They're, they're right back in the middle class of, of offensive lines, which I think uh, is okay. Um, also think some of those edge, you know, get another pass rusher yeah. rounds two and three would make sense. It's not a great uh, first round group of edge defenders, as we've mentioned quite a bit. Uh, but I think there are some. I mean, honestly, take a look at our draft. Everything, yeah, everything in the front seven that isn't Aaron Donald could be upgraded upon pretty easily with with a good draft pick. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So they took Corey Littleton and turned him into a pretty good coverage linebacker. I think Zach Bond from Wisconsin, who's a fringe first rounder for many, uh, was more of an edge defender there. But man, he's got some athleticism and coverage. Um, I think he could be one of those those types of players. You know that converts the NFL is kind of a hybrid player or, uh, you know, develops into a pretty good coverage player. But I think, you know, round two, Daryl Taylor, uh, Terrell Lewis from Alabama, some guys to uh, to keep an eye on as far as edge defender goes. Also a decent shot that they roll the dice on a cornerback as well, because much though I think Troy Hill is actually a very solid player as a number two. When you have Jalen Ramsey as your number one, I can easily see a scenario whereby they're happy to look for his replacement pretty quickly. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings. A lot of turnover this offseason. Not from Kirk Cousins, just from the roster. Cornerbacks who can cover linebackers as well or as well as the linebackers and safety. So cornerback uh, is the place, and Mike Zimmer loves drafting corners. Is it a lock, Sam, that the Vikings are drafting a first-round corner? So they've done the exact opposite of the Packers in terms of rolling into the draft without a glaring need. The Vikings probably need to come out of this draft, probably need to come out of the first round with a starting wide receiver and a starting cornerback. They, they, those two areas are now major problems. You trade away uh, Stephon Diggs. If you don't want Tajay Sharp to be your starting wide receiver, and trust me when I tell you you don't, you need to have... Stephon Diggs' replacement with the pick that you sent away uh, or the pick that you got rather for sending him away. And then cornerback, you've got Mike Hughes, you know, first rounder from 2018, who is still far from any kind of certain certainty in terms of quality play. And then outside of him, there's nothing like you've got Holton Hill, who's one bad move away from being booted out of the league forever. Like this cornerback group is is nothing. So the cornerback needs to be an immediate starter as well they they basically those are the two positions and nothing else i think you use the phrase they have to hit on they have to hit on these players right i mean yeah they have they have a million picks but which is great that is that is a way to do things it's just one of those when you look when you look at those glaring holes that you said it is nice that they have two firsts a two two thirds four five two sixes three sevens they can maneuver up down left right they can do whatever they want as far as moving up and, and down the board. Um, but I'm not saying you have to have that 2017 Saints draft class that netted uh, four really incredible players at their respective positions, uh, but you have to hit on some of these players. So, yeah, I think well, drafting in volume at positions of depth, wide receiver and corner would make sense, not just in the first round, but, you know, second and third round as well. Their problem is that I think it's harder to do than that New Orleans draft, right? The, the New Orleans draft was so amazing because they, they hit on players all the way down the draft and guys that were sort of complete throwaway picks almost became key starters for them or key pieces of business, which is incredible value. The Vikings right. almost have a harder thing to do because they basically need to nail their first two picks, 
like, okay, it's where the talent should be, but obviously the strike rate on the on first round picks is not that amazing. So you need to nail both of your first two picks, be, and and not just that, but they need to be they need to be not just good players down the line, but they actually need to play right away and be good. That's is, almost impossible to do. Is there a wide receiver or corner that you really like for them back end of the first that better than others? So that's the other issue is that like as much as they have two first round picks and that's great, they're in the twenties because you know, Buffalo were good last year. They made the playoffs. The Vikings obviously were good last year. They made the playoffs. So neither of those picks come up before the twenties. So you're going to have like, it's not like you have a, your, your pick of a CD lamb or whatever to come in and and solve the problem. You're going to have to figure out who's still around when you're making your pick. And I think, look, that we talked, it's, I think those are two good positions to be needing receiver help, but that it puts you in that interesting position. Like, I wonder if they're going to be intrigued by a guy like T Higgins because of the contested catch skills, because of the bigger body, the, you know, the, the abilities he has there. I could see them taking Higgins in the 20s better, somewhere. Better version of Laquan Treadwell. <sighs> God. Um, I, I could see them being tempted by a T Higgins. I could also see them being a landing spot for Denzel Mims. You know, one of these teams in the twenties that likes all the things that he does. Well, um, I think those two make a ton of sense. And then I think obviously they're in the, whoever the best cornerback available market is. All right, let's move on to the new Orleans saints, new Orleans. As far as needs, we said cornerback, uh, secondary needs, including quarterback and receiver. I don't think the saints are going to be in, forward looking QB land like hey let's draft Jordan Love and it's it's Drew Brees or bust right now they're going to add every piece that they possibly can around him so another team that I think corner makes sense uh, let me see where I went in my mock draft too I had talking uh, about they have the quarterback of the future just sitting there Steve Young 2.0 Taysom Hill very good point Lamar Jackson Um, the poor man's Taysom Hill as Brady Papinga told us Jeez. That's an actual I, thing that like a human brain crafted and let out into the world without being blocked by a filter. Um, so I, I, I've thought for a while before they brought Emmanuel Sanders in, I thought receiver would be great for them here. Still in my world where I, I want three legitimate threats, <laughs> uh, the Jalen Ragers of the world, the deep threat um, makes sense because they, Ted Ginn's gone. And New Orleans has always had a Devery Henderson or a Ted Ginn or somebody that um, can stretch the field. I mean, they attack all levels of the field. You think Traquan Smith can do that for them? I don't think Traquan is is closer to like Michael Thomas light, I think, as far as skill set goes. You know, Um, I think he's more of the bigger bodied possession guy. Emmanuel Sanders, your good, nice route runner. I mean, they have Deontay Harris, the awesome punt returner that they'll throw out there for a few gimmicky snaps per you know maybe he becomes the guy they just you know throw him down the field a couple times but um i could still see them benefiting from from a true deep threat as well yeah i mean the saints are one of the best rosters in the nfl so they are in that spot where you're i don't want to call them luxury picks but you can think longer term so as much as yeah you want you know drew Brees is is now or or nothing even though he signed a was it a two-year deal um so they are kind of win now but they can draft a receiver who will be a part of this receiving group now and, you know, replace Emmanuel Sanders in a couple of years or in a year's time. 
Um, so it's, it's a, it's a long and a short term move. So I'm with you. I think receiver makes a ton of sense. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, with receivers, even if there's guys with, um, limited skill sets, so like a DK Metcalf last season, right? Where it's, he's going to win in one or two ways early. And then we'll see how much of the, how, how, uh, full, how complete a receiver he can be as he develops. The saints are one of the best teams in the NFL in terms of only asking you to do what you can do and then expanding it. Michael Thomas in his rookie season ran like two routes. He ran slants and he ran goes and that was it. And that's because all that's all he could do right away. But they were like, okay, we like this guy. He's in, he's can make an impact running just two things in year one. And then we'll see what he can do as we teach him how to play in this offense. And Michael Thomas is now one of the best receivers in the NFL. But year one, he contributed right away doing two things. So they can take a guy like Jalen Rager and have him plugged into that offense in just one small role and get an impact out of him in year one. And then potentially in years two or three, he can be the Emmanuel Sanders replacement running a far more diverse route tree. Yeah, look, it's a great point. They've done a really good job of developing players and and working their skill set. I think there's a couple different ways they could go. If If they were trying to find the Marcus Colston big bodied slot as well, You've got a LaVisca Chenault. You have a Michael Pittman. I think Justin Jefferson right there down the street in LSU is a fantastic uh, crafty slot receiver with you know a 6'3 frame. Reminds me a little of Victor Cruz the more I've been watching him. Hmm. Um, so I'd be, if the Saints are all in, the way that they've lost in, in recent years is not being able to attack down the field in the passing game, just stalling in crunch time when they've needed. So to me, I'm exhausting all options there and, you know, making life as, as easy as possible for Breeze as he uh, rounds things out. So I think playmaker, they only have five picks in the draft, Sam. So not a ton of needs to fill, not a ton of picks to do it. I'd also be intrigued by Chase Claypool for them. The Notre Dame Ooh. receiver slash tight end now. Um, I'd be intrigued. If anybody's going to use him. a slash, right. it's, it's the Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the New York Giants. They got the fourth overall pick. We talked a little bit about them earlier. Uh, they don't have a ton of draft capital until round seven, where they have four picks. So one pick at every round until uh, draft seven. Uh, yeah, round seven. One pick in every round until round seven, where they have four. So um, as far as the Giants, we were talking about Makai Becton, and there's a lot of rumors that he's the guy. Monster, 370 pounds. Incredible at the Combine. All these different things, and the Giants are linked to him. I, he could be the guy. They have Nate Solder at left tackle. Do you bring Becton in and have him play right tackle? I think they are intrigued. He is, just so we know what Becton, they, there's a big hole at right tackle for the Giants, so it fills a need. They love to fill needs. They love to do it with you know big freak athletes, athletes like Makai Becton. They want to run the ball to protect Daniel Jones because of Saquon Barkley. This could legitimately be the guy. Becton, I have never seen guys tossed around as much as what Becton has done. I mean, it, it looks like high school film. He's just, when you block the front side of zone, you're actually just supposed to like kind of make contact just and just widen the edge a little bit. Like that is the assignment. And he takes guys and throws them to the ground. I've never seen anything like it at the college level. It's fascinating. The problem is he's not as smooth in pass protection. I know he's working with 
with our good friend Duke Mannyweather, and they're going to fix his pass pro problems. And, and, and Duke's a good teacher. He's gotten good results. Maybe there's something to bank on there. He's a great athlete and all that stuff. But I think it's a risky move at four. Becton, we have as more of a second-round player. I am just so here for this being the Giants' move. I would love nothing more than, now screw you, we're taking Saquon Barkley at two. He's the best player we've ever seen. And then we're going to Daniel Jones at six when everyone else thinks he's a bottom first-round guy. And then we're, then we're going to take Mekhi Becton at four. <laughs> Just for giggles. I, um, I, I would not – this would make me so happy if they did that. I would love to see that. The thing is, too, like we have, we have Becton. So when you just isolate him into pure pass protection sets, like he ranks middle of the class. Um, so when you take out play action, you take out uh, quick passes and all that stuff. When you have to just block the guy in front of you from a pass pro standpoint, the most important projectable part of his game, he's just not nearly as good as the Andrew Thomases, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills of the world, even Josh Jones from Houston. So for, on our board, I think he's the fifth best offensive tackle. There is that run game value. He will crush some people. There is the potential because he's this monster, great athlete that he can develop and pass pro, just not a guy I want to take at four. Now, the other realistic options that they're going to have here, going back to that two a trade up scenario, Chase Young or Akuda could be on the market. Now, they've invested a lot at corner the last couple of years between DeAndre Baker last year in the first, James Bradbury in free agency. Sam Beal from the 2018 supplementary draft. I mean, they've they've added a lot of pieces there. But if Chase Young goes at three, should Jeffrey Akuda still be in the mix for the Giants? I mean, we always think so, but I don't know if they would go that way. I don't know that they would take Akuda. I think they would take Chase Young, though, if he's yes. available there. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Even, like over a tackle. Even if they're a team that's going in saying we want to take a tackle at the top of the draft, if Chase Young is there, I think that changes everything for them. Um, so Mikai Becton is interesting to me because the two, the two sort of giant freakish mounds of humanity. All right, let's call them three, right? Yeah, let's, let's brought into four, two teams, four monstrous tackles, right? Minnesota Vikings, you've got Brian McKinney, you've got Phil Lodeholt and then Baltimore Ravens, you've got, uh, J- uh, Jonathan Ogden. And then you remember Jared Gaither. Oh yeah. So four giant human masses, all of whom were pretty special athletes as well. He's almost like a combination of the two Vikings ones in particular, right? Because Brian McKinney was always this like better athlete than he was seen. He was he was more of a finesse player than a six foot eight, three hundred and fifty pound beast should be. Um, and then Phil Lodeholt was the road grading monster, right? So Becton is the road grading monster, but has that sort of way more finesse and way more um, way more dancing bear than he has any right to be being that size. So it's almost like if you combine McKinney and Lodeholt, you end up with a, a Mackay Becton. And the reason I'm sort of saying that is for as much as Bryant McKinney was always a way better pass protector than he was a, a run blocker and way better than you would expect him to be being that size, he would always run up against Dwight Freeney and be killed, right? So he had, a, he had like a ceiling to his level, which is I'm way better than you think I am, but at some point I'm going to come up against a truly elite pass rusher and I can't deal with that because that guy is just too fast, too small, too quick, and I'm sunk. I think that's kind of what you're going to see with Becton is that he'll actually end up being a pretty good pass blocker, but he's going to find those guys that he just can't block because it's yeah. physics, right? Those There's certain types of people that at that size, you just don't have the ability to deal with. Yeah, and that's why I think with Becton, 
he could, I think he's going to become a, a pretty good player. Uh, I just I don't want to take that at four. Right. It's really the same thing we're saying about Cleveland Farrell a, a year ago. Like Cleveland Farrell, I'm happy to take him in the second round, but I don't want to take him at four. Uh, so I think that's where we are as far as the Giants. They would love um, – look, if they're going to take a tackle, I'd rather you – know, Andrew Thomas I think would be a, a really good fit. We All the other guys that we mentioned previously that have experience at right tackle – I really think Andrew Thomas is the best pure tackle in this draft, but the most recent thing we saw was Tristan Wirfs and his monster quads and Mackay backed in at 370 pounds, tear up the combine, which matters a little bit. Like it's nice that they did those things, but I don't think I put that over Andrew Thomas being the best combination of pass pro and run blocking in this draft. So Thomas on the quiet had a pretty good combine as well though, right? Yeah, he did. Just not, just not like, you know, stuff we're going to talk about for years, like with Warfs and Becton. Right. And it's, so it's the combine thing is so interesting because of, you know, people not doing people, not working out, people only working out some things um, because uh, Becton ran like the 40 and that was it. Right. Like he didn't do the other stuff. So all you remember from him is this giant behemoth yeah. running a fast 40 time. It's like, well, the guy's athleticism must be off the charts. Like, well, we didn't get to check that with anything else. People, people don't talk about the value of omission, right? So if when you mentioned DK Metcalf's combine, it's like incredible 40 and then LOL. Hmm. Did you believe his change of a direction is his agility drills? Like some of the worst we've ever seen. If he just didn't do agility drills. Yeah. DK Metcalf is a first round pick. And you're just like, dude, tore up the combine. I the think omission of drills is valuable if you know you're going to be bad at them. Yeah. I, and I think not even that, but even just from a strategic sort of focus point of view, um, you can, because in any normal year, right? Obviously this year is different because of Corona and all the chaos that that's doing. But in any normal year, you could like focus on one thing for the combine and then focus on the other thing for your pro day and have like a month and a half to get to change, to right. change dynamic, right? Because explosive straight line um, straight line drills are not the same skill set as change of direction quickness, right? And, and if yep. you're going to spend all your time working on one of them, you're going to get worse at the other one. You could conceivably focus all your time for the combine on the straight ahead uh, explosion jumps and 40 and then spend the next month and a half drilling three cones and improve that. So, so just just, I, just a comparison's uh, point, right? Mackay Becton ran a 5-1 40 at 364 pounds and six foot seven, right? Thomas was what six five and ran a four uh, five two two. So it's not like his right time was terrible. And we talked about this last year when we were comparing guys like Quinnen Williams versus Rashawn Gary. Like Rashawn Gary had otherworldly numbers, Quinnen Williams had like above average numbers. You know, there's other it's not. It's it's not proportional to how incredible your combine is, how effective that's actually going to be on the field. I'll also say to your point about the pro day stuff as a former pro athlete, Sam, who hmm. would, would work out in, say, like three and four month blocks during the offseason. You make amazing strides in that last month or two before the season. So from a uh, an NFL you know offseason training standpoint, that month or two just before your pro day. So the extra three, four, five weeks that you have to train after the combine before your pro day, 
you can you can make amazing gains, especially if your focus is just on the one or two drills. To your point, it, it would be a an interesting strategic decision, I think, for for guys to make. So, anyway, uh, moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles and. What do we have for their needs? We're saying a field stretching wide receiver, linebacker, and then some more offensive tackle depth. Yeah, we're here because uh, Deshaun Jackson got hurt last year. All of their receivers got banged up. Deshaun Jackson's still on the roster, but they need some youth there at wide receiver for the Eagles. And I I think uh, after years of going to the trenches when it comes to first round picks, I do think this might be the year the Eagles go with a skill position player. Uh, entirely possible. I'm curious to see what happens to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in year two. Not pronouncing it properly. Apologize, but I'm just not doing it ever. Arcega. Um, so I'm curious to see what he can do in year two because a player that we did like coming out. Now, obviously, that's not that field-stretching um, receiver, which they need anyway. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an interesting group because, in theory, it's still really good. You know, it's a year removed from us saying it was the the best receiving group in the NFL on paper heading into the year. I think honestly, it's not a million miles away from that right now. But obviously, they've all they all got banged up. They all had question marks last season, and the only thing that changed was the emergence of AAF superstar Greg Ward as the only receiver they had well, last season. You have Alshon Jeffrey getting older and banged up. You have Deshaun Jackson getting older. If you're gonna chase those skill sets, Jalen Rager again back in play the TCU guy and T Higgins back in play. If you know, you don't want to be a contested catch guy to your point that you always make. You don't want that to be the first thing, but you have a guy like Alshon Jeffrey, who's made a really good career as that's probably his first thing, but he does other things pretty well as well. I think Higgins is closer to him than he is say, I don't know, Kelvin Benjamin, right? I I think Higgins is, is closer to an Alshon Jeffrey type of player. And I think Wentz, Wentz has done his best work throwing to those big-bodied receivers. There's definitely certain quarterbacks. Philip Rivers comes to mind, where you say when you give when you give this guy the big targets, he's he's generally done better. He's done I, he's done a nice job, and he's willing to give those guys opportunities. I think Wentz kind of falls into that bucket. I heard the scorn in your voice when you said the point that you always make. I heard it. Look, so the the point with Giving that you credit stuff, for your point. The point with that stuff, though, it's not that like it's not a universal one hundred percent strike rate thing, right? right? There are going to be exceptions, like Anquan Bolden, right? Where the the only thing you have in your armor is contested catch skills, and you're able to do that at such an absurd rate that it invalidates everything else, right? There are exceptions to these things, but it's like that medical aphorism where you know when you hear uh, hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, right? Every now and again, you'll find a zebra, but if, you're, if that's what you're looking for from the outset, you're going to be O for a million. That's the same idea with this stuff, right? There are going to be Anquan Boldens out there, but if you think that every guy whose first selling point is contested catch skills is the next Anquan Bolden, you're going to have a disastrous strike rate when it comes to wide receivers. Agreed. If, on the other hand, you treat it as, well, we're not going near those guys unless we like stumble into one by accident you're just going to be better off across the board. So that's my point with that stuff. It's not that they don't exist. It's that if that's the way you're approaching things, you're just doing it the wrong way. The other thing, the the more I think about this stuff though, too, it's which receivers are going to get the best play out of the quarterback, right? So last show we talked about Derek Carr. If he had CD lamb as a guy that he could have that really good outside receiver connection with, throw the fade, throw the back shoulder, 
that might force Derek Carr to throw down the field a little bit more. Uh, Cam Newton, they tried to give him the big bodied receivers, which I think made sense on paper, but he really just needed a bigger strike zone. And the strike zone is bigger when a guy's open, not necessarily when he's six foot five. So they Mm -hmm. gave when he had guys that were getting open, he had an MVP season. I think with Wentz, the way that you get back to a 2017 MVP season is you kind of luck into it by him making incredible third down plays and tight window throws. And you get that with an Alshon Jeffrey type of receiver. So I think you get the best out of Carson Wentz. Like, yes, having a Deshaun Jackson on the field is awesome. And that's good for every quarterback. But I think you get the best out of Wentz when he's throwing aggressively down the field to a big receiver like a T Higgins or Alshon Jeffrey to his tight ends, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard and giving those big receivers chances to make plays. So I think that's where my mentality is uh, with a lot of it for the Eagles as well. I think they can still they can still attack defense pretty hard, whether it's linebacker. I think they're still not away from the secondary needing help. Um, obviously, they, they added Darius Slay. That should take number one. Number two cornerback, I think, is still an issue, even though they have like a platoon of guys. They expect one of them to sort of distance himself and win that job. Like you could solve that by drafting a guy who wins the job over all of them and would you know would make you better from the outset. So I think the back seven is still an area they could definitely target and, as well as receiver. You can never have too many corners. We'll never shy away from that. The other guy that I think, if you're talking a specific player that they just lost, that could potentially replace that skill set from uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, Xavier McKinney from Alabama. Malcolm Jenkins is out. Malcolm Jenkins was a great safety slash slot corner guy that could step down and cover Xavier McKinney has some of those skills I think he would be a beautiful fit you're ignoring an actual my guy Will Parks they signed clearly oh, to replace that's right that's right Will, they did they did sorry only a one-year deal for Will Parks though so you go and throw like 58 my guys at me none of whom are actually my guy and then you ignore the one my guy we actually have who could make an impact Will Parks was our guy I show I introduced him to you all right San Francisco 49ers, they now have two first-round picks. I like the way Ben Lindsay described this. They need the 2020 version of Emmanuel Sanders, as well hmm. as maybe cornerback and interior offensive line. Uh, so they had Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, he Again, the good route runner, just watching him. He was running dig routes left and right and you know working that intermediate middle of the field. Does a great job there. Got behind the defense a couple times. Um, I, I definitely think that the Niners are very much in the wide receiver market. Uh, speed, speed, speed is how they've built their offense. They have an op- an opportunity to add even more to it. But they also could be in that cutoff where those top three receivers might not be there at, at 13 overall. What are your thoughts on the Niners? This is a pretty rare position to be in in terms of you're coming off a Super Bowl, albeit defeat, um, and you pick 13 in the draft. Yeah. Plus, you have another first rounder later on. Like this and 31. is right. This is a phenomenal uh, position, a phenomenal gift for the team, and you know it, it costs you one of your better defensive players, but a guy I think you can absorb the loss of because of the players um, you've had basically stockpiling that position for years. The other knock-on effect this might have that I've only just occurred to me. We might finally see Solomon Thomas lined up as an interior player primarily as opposed to an edge player. You know, this might actually finally be the thing that rescues Solomon Thomas's career because he's been perennially played out, out of position, hasn't been able to have the same kind of impact we saw from him at Stanford. Maybe this is what does it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think they, they're a team that does need wide receiver help. They've 
you know, Emmanuel Sanders, there was a question heading into the season, right? Which is, is this an offense that actually needs legitimate perimeter number one wide receivers or are their number one receivers just different types of different positions and different types of player, right? They effectively have their number one receiving weapons at tight end in George Kittle or even at fullback in Kyle Juszczyk or when you bring in Debo Samuel and runs all those gimmick things. They kind of have all of them just in different areas. But then they trade for Emmanuel Sanders and it does make an immediate and obvious difference to that passing game. So, yeah, I think they effectively need to replace exactly what Emmanuel Sanders brought, which is a different skill set of receiver that none of these other guys have. So I'm, I'm looking at the the draft and the same thing I said about the Broncos the other day. I think the Niners, Bucks, Broncos, all in a similar boat. I think they would love to have one of those top receivers if they fell, uh, being C.D. Lamb, Jerry Lu- Judy or Henry Ruggs. For that to happen... They would need, once again, from our viewpoint, Cleveland Farrell was not a great pick last year at four. Christian Wilkins last year at 13 to the Dolphins. Not a great pick. Run first type of player, our fifth interior D lineman on the board. From our standpoint, they would need those types of picks to happen in the top 13 or 12 or 13, right? Uh, In order for some of these guys to fall. Uh, Because if they don't fall... In my mock draft right now, I'm giving him Derek Brown, which I don't love. I might change it, but as of right now, the the next options are like Derek Brown, Josh Jones, Christian Fulton, LaVisca Chenault, CJ. There's not a slam dunk pick there. I think they are in a potential cutoff point in the draft where the top tackles are off the board. Some of the top receivers are off the board. A few QBs came off the board. Chase Young comes off the board. And then it's like, okay, now you're into that next tier of first round player. So 13, and maybe this is part of the Colts reasoning for trading 13, right? If it was 10, maybe they're not going to do it. But 13 is this cutoff point where there's 12 or 13 players that you feel really good about. And then there's a cutoff there. I can see a scenario where Jerry Judy makes it as far as 13. Um, I, I, I've said this, so I think we were talking about the Raiders in the last pod. I just, Judy just feels to me like the receiver of the group that is going to slip more than we think he should. Um, I, I don't, whether it's the fact that his athletic testing was, um, I don't want to say bad, but le- not spectacular, whether it's the fact that most of his production was inside rather than outside. I think there, I think teams are going to find ways of nitpicking Jerry Judy to the point where enough of them let him start to slide that he could flexible be available. Knees. Knee flexible knees. Whether, so that he could be available at a spot later when we think he should. Like, I think Jerry Judy should be a top 10 player. Um, but then even like even my comp for him, like when I watch his tape, he reminds me, he's basically, it's like if somebody took Calvin Ridley and played him at like 110% speed, that's Jerry Judy in terms of playing speed. Now, I know Ridley. I would take that in the top right. 10. Sure. But I think, again, there are, like if you look at what Calvin Ridley has done in the NFL so far, like it's been okay, but it's not been anything to write home about. Like if you increase that speed by t- 110% or increase it to 110%, like, does that make him a top 10 kind of player? I don't know. I just think there are enough players or enough teams that will be scared of Judy that he might start to slip. And if he lands with the 49ers, like that is a beautiful replacement for Emmanuel Sanders in terms of what he did. It is. I could also, if Henry Ruggs is there, again, we talked about the team that's as fast as any on the field. Most are with the, you know, running the ball 
with his four three speed, and then you have rugs. Think about how many end arounds and jet sweeps type uh, type stuff that they're doing. Debo Samuel's a more of a physical runner than a fast runner. A rugs or a Judy adds a ton of speed there. So I really think the Niners should be looking to just just more playmakers, playmakers, playmakers. That's what Jimmy G needs you know, to move that offense. I think they also need cornerbacks, though, and I could see them taking the next corner off the board, even if the top one is gone. Top two, I guess, would be gone. Or 31. There should be some value at 31 there as well. Sure. If they do want to go into your O-line, our guy Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, could be, you know, if, if you're going to go first guard off the board, that could fit their scheme. Maybe late first is the is the place to do that. All right. We got a couple more teams to get through. Staying in the division, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they, more offensive line question marks again. Defensive line, slot cornerback because they didn't really play with one last year. Uh, the trade for Quentin Dunbar, man, that that just helps so much. Yeah, it just sometimes I, I know they I know they have to pay him, and it's not clean across the board. But I cannot tell you how excited I would be if to use a fourth, fifth or sixth round pick on a starting player at a position of value. It just, it would be, I would do that every time. Right. And that's, that's before you even get into the idea that we graded him absurdly well last season. Like, right. okay, it, he didn't play as much as some of these other guys. So even if you ignore the fact, even if you ignore what the PFF grade said, this is a guy that fits your scheme and was a starting caliber player somewhere else last season for a fifth round pick. That's phenomenal value. Then you add in the fact that, oh, and by the way, PFF grades had him at the very top of the NFL, like among the top two or three players in the league. Like He was playing at that kind of level, according to our system, albeit, you know, at a, a volatile position. Um, and without playing the same level of snaps as some of these other guys, like at that point, it's it's absurd. At that point, it's not only a no brainer. It's it's like Christmas. So absolutely love that. I, I think that we've been pairing Trevon Diggs with them quite a quite a bit. I think now that they you can't have too many of them, but I think they're less likely to, you know, force a cornerback in round one. They're they're less likely to take a cornerback in round one anyway. I mean, honestly, they're, the Seahawks are legitimately going to take a guy that we think is a third rounder and probably draft him in the first for whatever reason they they deem they want to do that. But um, they haven't shown as much as teams, people mock corners and offensive linemen to them in the first round. It's not really their thing. If they do go, I mean, they, they could still go O-line. I just don't know if it's really their priority. Um, if we're talking slot corner, I have to at least throw my guy out there for later in the draft, Amik Robertson from Louisiana Tech. If you can get him in the third round or late second or wherever, I don't know where his NFL value is, but he graded extremely well for us as an outside corner last year at Louisiana Tech. There's always a little risk taking an outside guy, putting him inside, but he has feistiness, Sam, inside corner feistiness. I still think he could play on the outside, but man, I think he'd be a really nice fit for Seattle in the middle rounds if they can get him. Do you have any idea what Seattle's strategy is on the offensive line? Um, I, I think at a high level, I think they are content not being great. But so from a pass pro standpoint, people because used to they say think that Russell can bail them out, right? But 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 a strategy is not to just be bad. Like that's you know. Well, they the, the strategy to is thing. to not invest heavily. But the thing is, they kind of have. That's the that's the crazy part, right? Is that a couple of years ago that was the thing, right? It was like Seattle. 
their entire offensive line is costing like $8 million. They just don't value the offensive line because they have Russell Wilson. But then you trade for Dwayne Brown. You draft guys relatively high. You actually start putting some significant free agent dollars into some of these guys. Like they've actually put some resources towards this offensive line the way they didn't a few years ago. And it's still crappy. Like, I don't even, I, I genuinely have no idea what their strategy is on the offensive line. I don't understand what they're trying to achieve other than, like, like I say, like, you're, the summation of it is what you said, which is they're content with it not being good. But that's not like a, that's not a plan. But they've thrown, they've thrown some second round picks at it. Yes. They've thrown some middle round picks. Yes. Uh, but I think the strategy was establish the run and, and beat some people up up front with DJ Fluker and Mike Upati and a bunch of dudes that, are, are, are people movers, right? That was what they wanted to right. do. They but still Fetty have a massive hole at right pick. tackle right now. Fetty was a first-round pick. True. Fetty, I'm sorry. Yeah, Fetty was a first-round pick early. Um, but yeah, uh, late in the first. So, yes, they have invested there, but I think they're looking at run blocking first through the that, years yeah, as well. That would at least appear to be the only thing that I can see that even ties this together is that almost all the moves they've made recently have been assembling, run-blocking, behemoth-type linemen. Well, yeah, I think... So they, they're they the team... I, I I keep saying Josh Jones, top 15 player on our board, maybe a back end of the first-round player by the NFL standards. Maybe he gets into the second round. I would love him there, put him at right tackle, and uh, instead of Cedric Ogboye, uh Jamarco Jones is still sitting there. Last year, uh, 2018 fifth round pick struggled at guard last year, but man, he was he was good at tackle for Ohio State. As of right now, I would give him the shot at right tackle over Cedric, but uh, this, it's still a hole there. I think they desperately need to go chasing some pass rushers. You know, we did the the Super Bowl watch along from a couple of years ago, um, where it was the the Patriots uh, Seahawks Super Bowl, and everything changed when they lost um, their pass rushers. Everything changed when they lost. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Cliff Averill. Cliff Averill. Everything changed when Cliff Averill went out of that game completely. And, you know, there was Cliff Averill, there was Michael Bennett. And they haven't, honestly, they've never replaced Cliff Averill. Like from the moment he left, yeah. they have never replaced that production. And I think they've taken a few sort of different shots at it. And they've, they've tried to change the defense a little bit. But they've genuinely just never replicated the pure speed, every down pressure presence that Cliff Avril brought. And I think this is a good draft to start chasing something like that, whether it's a Julian Aquara, you know, these, the draft this year is full of these undersized speed, um, pure pressure type pass rushers. And I think the Seahawks should actually start attacking these guys. Even, even if last year's first round pick LJ Collier, you know, actually becomes something. I could see them like an Aquara, you know, big, long athletic, uh, edge rusher from Notre Dame. I could definitely see that as a potential fit. Um, Curtis Weaver from Boise state, not as athletic, but very productive off the edge. So yeah, a couple different, I could see them going edge, uh, get that second, second tier of edge rusher toward the end of the, uh, of the first round for Seattle. See what they do with the O line Two la two teams left Tampa Bay bucks. And they're sitting at 14. We were just talking about the 49ers. I think the bucks, they're big, they would love an offensive tackle. They need a starting right tackle. They they would love one of those top four guys uh, or five guys to fall if you include Becton there. Might not even 
be reality, but I could definitely see them going tackle in the first round. Uh, what did we say specifically? Just protection for Tom Brady in general, secondary needs of safety and pass catching running back. I think the pass catching running back. Absolutely. I could see them going with any of those uh, versatile running backs to just compliment Ronald Jones back there in the middle rounds. But what do you think about the Bucks in their first round pick? I think tackle would be the ideal thing. And yeah. you're, the, the Mackay Becton thing, I think, is perfect for teams like the Bucks, right? Because let's say a team like, even if it's not the Giants up at four, but if it's a team above Tampa Bay, loves Becton to the point where they take him, it, it's one of those free spots, right? It, it moves the guy you actually wanted one step closer to you in the draft because I think the Bucks would be targeting a different one of those tackles. So I think for them, one of those top guys falling to where they pick is an absolute dream scenario. Um, and then I think for offense, it's interesting because everyone is projecting this unknown of what this offense is going to look like, right? Because I think I think more or less everybody, why do I keep saying I think so much? I think more or less everybody is agreed that this offense will be some kind of hybrid between what Brady has always run and what Bruce Arians has always run. It's going to meet in the middle somewhere. And the question is, what does that look like, right? Does it involve a slot receiver of the Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola mold? Does it involve pass-catching running backs that the Patriots have had for years? Or do they try and, you know, rescue the career of an O.J. Howard or just make more use of Cameron Bray? Do they pivot to this two tight end offense? We just we don't know what this system is going to look like. So we don't really know what players the Bucks should be targeting in the draft because those two things are interdependent. So maybe they do focus on defense or the tackle, which is the no brainer, like whatever your system is. We need an update, an upgrade over Joe Hager, right tackle. Um, and then, you know, we look to defense because the defense can it's definitely on the way up but we can still get better, certainly on the defensive front. Yeah, so I think I think they should also be in the receiver market as well and just say if those if those guys fall, like we could find a way to put Jerry. Like imagine if Jerry Judy was the skill set, you know, if he falls, as you say, potentially could happen. Mm-hmm. Jerry Judy with the big body guys on the outside, Godwin and Evans, and I know Godwin can work out of the slot as well, but Judy would be the shifty slot that Brady's used to having Um, the number three receiver in this offense, which has been a high volume passing offense, not just under Bruce Arians, but previously with Dirk Cutter and everything. They, uh, they made Adam Humphreys into a guy a couple years ago. So it was Humphreys and Godwin and Evans. And they had into Sean Jackson. They had a ton of receivers there a couple years ago last year. Rashad Perryman was that guy. So, I mean, are all those guys on the table? You know, if if Judy falls or if Ruggs is still there and they just want to add ridiculous speed, LaVisca Chenault as a 6'2", 220 uh, running back skilled receiver, right? That type of player. I mean, if I Judy, think they're all on the table for Brady. If Judy starts to slip into that realm that I think might happen into the teens, he becomes like the ideal. He becomes like the dream scenario for multiple teams in that in that range. right? I think he's a perfect fit for the 49ers. I think he's a perfect fit for the Bucks who are, what, a one one pick after, right? Yeah. Um, I think he's the perfect fit for Denver, a pick after that. I think he becomes, like, the best pick available for, like, three, four, five teams in a, in a row in the, in the teens. I, I really think because Brady probably has a little bit of influence there before, where he literally he didn't have any influence in New England. It was just you're, you're at the mercy of what's given to you. I really think this, like, 
all right, we're just going to go all out. Scorched earth. We got two good tight ends. We got two receivers. Add more there. Give me the, give me a pass catching running back. Give me a receiver so we can't be defended from a pass game standpoint. But to your point, I just don't know what that receiver is. Is it shifty slot or is it a Justin Jefferson who's 6'3", but worked out of the slot in LSU? We talked about him earlier. Great feel for work in the middle of the field. And it's more of a vertical passing offense where the underneath stuff is more of the tight ends in the in the backs out of the backfield. So it would um, also, we don't know what it is, but there's a lot of different ways that they can go. And there's a lot of options. I think they're going to take at least one of those options and, and add more playmakers to that offense. It would also be pretty interesting if like the ideal scenario did unfold in terms of like one of their top tackles being available, what that influence of Brady would do to that decision, right? Cause then you're in, you, then you have a decision of, do we take the tack? Do we take pass protection or passing options, passing weapons? And I would, I would guess that Brady would come down on the side of give me the weapons over the pass protection any day. But I would yeah. also guess that given all things equal, Arians would come down the other way. So that yeah. would be an interesting test of that right away. Knowing the fact that Brady has protected tackles through the years, but if there's an adjustment to the system, the system's going to put more pressure on the tackles. I think the Bucks' ideal scenario is like the Andrew Thomases of the world fall, right? Werfs and Becton are overdrafted. That's because of the combine. Andrew Thomas falls. Boom. He's your right tackle. And then in the second round, uh, Justin Jefferson falls or LaVisca Chenault is still there because of uh, his injury or whatever. If they go tackle receiver because of somebody falling or the depth, I think that's a perfect scenario for the Bucks. I think there's a lot of teams who are going to get or be in a good spot with receiver in the second round. I think generally there's a lot of teams yeah. that are going to look at the depth of this group and say, we're going to hold off on receiver in the first round because there's going to be so many good players in the second. It's a challenge I have right now. Feel bad for me. As I go mm. through this mock draft, because my I know where my values lie. My values lie in the pass game and getting playmakers and this whole thing we've been talking about through four hours of podcasting for team <laughs> needs here. Receivers and corners, receivers and corners and coverage players and you know some pretty good tackles. I know where my priorities lie, but there's other teams that are going to have other priorities, and there's they're going to make picks that you are happy about, right? That's the whole thing we're talking yeah. about. Here are 10 players that went in the first round that I don't value as first-rounders. Great. I'm going to get good players in the second round. All right, let's wrap it up. Washington Redskins, we've talked quite a bit about their decision at number two. Tua versus Chase Young versus trading down. We painted a three-way trade earlier in this podcast where they're going to trade down and then trade back up, essentially up to number three um, from a needs. To, it's also not like edge defenders, this like massive need. It, it, they just feel like, well, you got to take the best player available. It's chase young at number two. Um, but we're saying they still need uh, outside cornerback help, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, I would, if I'm the Redskins, I would rather trade down and fill multiple holes instead of just getting the generational chase young. So would you rather would you rather that to our three-way trade scenario where they trade down then up, still get Chase Young and pick up something extra? It depends on what the something extra is because, right. once again, in my mock draft scenario, I moved him to five, and, I, and they took Andrew Thomas at, at five. So there's your tackle, right? And now I have the 26th pick from the Dolphins. Again, hypothetically, they, they, they grabbed an extra first-rounder so the Dolphins could go get Tua, and now I could fill whatever other holes – at a position of value, whether it's wide receiver, corner, whoever falls there. So if I walk out of the draft with Andrew Thomas and then a starter at corner or receiver, I'm feeling really good about that. But in your scenario, you might be able to do come out of this with Chase Young and still 
one of those other first rounders, you just lose some of the other picks maybe a little bit further down uh, in the draft. Um, I, I don't think there's a huge difference between three and five, to be honest, because I, I think an Andrew Thomas might help that team just as much as a Chase Young. I mean, so yeah, they, they're an intriguing team because I think trading down is ideal. I'm also, I, I'm, I'm, the more I think about it, the more I like this idea of trading down a couple of spots or being involved in that kind of jumping around stuff and still snagging Chase Young. But if you don't, they feel like a team that could trade down a couple of times. Like, yep. let's, okay, we could take, we have more holes than we'll be filled with our pick at two. But, to, you know, if we're not taking a quarterback, and obviously there is still the chance that they just go screw it and take Tua and blow the whole thing to hell. <laughs> right. But if they're not taking a quarterback, they have more holes than can be filled with just whoever they take at the top of this draft. Particularly, as you said, like Chase Young is a fantastic player, but it's not a, you know, it's not a glaring need. They've got Ryan Kerrigan still. Montez Sweat, they drafted, what, a year ago in the first round? So yeah. they've, they've, I mean, it's not that it would be a bad pick, but it's neither is it like we have nothing here with this, this player changes everything. Um, cornerback could be that. Like maybe they are in um, the Jeffrey Akuda sweepstakes as a team. I don't. I haven't seen that talked about that much for a connection that should be more obvious than that. But yeah, Josh Norman's gone. It's not like they were good there anyway with Norman. Right. Looking at Fabian Moreau and Kendall Fuller and Jimmy Moreland as guys that are just sitting atop the depth chart. Kendall Fuller is more of a slot slash safety anyway. So yeah, I would so, say corner is a huge need. Yeah, so what if this is a team that trades down a couple of times? We trade down to five, first of all, and then we go from five down in the teens somewhere, and now you get like a whole ton of picks that you can start spending on cornerback, uh, potentially bolster the offensive line, add some receiver help, which they still need because, you know, last year Terry McLaren was the, not just the number one, but basically the only receiver they had. So, right. like, they have a lot of holes that they could be filled, and they're not going to fill them all with their first-round pick, even with, you know, first round and top of the second round as well. If they could pick up, like, another couple of high picks by trading into the teens somewhere, that would be amazing for them. Yeah, and, and I would just say if, the, if they could grab one of the Dolphins' first-round picks, say if they could grab 26 while moving from 2 to 5, is that fair? I haven't even looked at the numbers, but for the they, Dolphins they, to move from 5 to 2 and then give up another first-round pick to do that? They, it not only, well, depends on what you look at, right? If you use the, our, our, the archaic trade value chart thing, yeah. Miami would still need to give up stuff for that to happen. Okay. So like I'm they just would saying, need to give up the one and something else. Right. So, so let's just say they give up 26 and there's other stuff down the road. If you're Washington walking out of the trade with a pick at number five, which could be Jeffrey Okuda or your tackle of choice. And then at 26, uh, once again, the depth of the receiver class in the cornerback class, that is a great place, I think, to grab either of those positions. If you're going to walk out of this with a starting tackle and a starting receiver or corner, I'm taking that over Chase Young every time. I think that's Washington's best case scenario. Honestly, the pick actually, here's interesting. If you use the trade chart, the pick that exactly gets Miami to number two from number five is Pittsburgh's number 18 pick that they got for Minka. Oh, so they could actually get 18 instead of yes. 26. Yes, so 18 actually exactly matches the trade value. I would do that in a heartbeat if I'm Washington. Oh, hell yeah. Like if you traded I, would do from, that if I'm, I would do that in a heartbeat if I'm Miami. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I think that's, that's because the way true. Eric's the way Eric's trade value chart that he's developed is essentially like, in if that if that trade happens for a non-quarterback, 
then it's like, okay, one team won, one team lost. Right. If that happens for a quarterback, it's a win-win, right? For Washington, who's not, in theory, if they're not going to take a QB, awesome. Pick up the extra draft picks, go crazy. You're going to win that trade in your world. But for Miami, if you're just going to say, you gave up 5-18 and 18 to get your quarterback. That's what you did. You get, you, it, you you do that yeah. 100 times out of 100. Yeah, and then potentially in our scenario for if you got that for Washington, you trade down to five, you pick up 18. So now you got two yeah. first round picks plus the pick at the top of the second round. You can either try and jump back up for that Detroit pick and get Chase Young, or you could try and trade back again and try and snag another high pick and end up with multiple first rounders in the teens your pick at the top of the second round, plus whatever it is you picked up to go from five to the mid of the first round somewhere. That again, it's it's a perfect haul for them. I think if teams view the opportunity to draft in the top ten as one of two things, you either you either have your opportunity to go get your quarterback, or you have an opportunity to add three or four pieces to your team instead of one. That's how that should be viewed. Washington is in prime spot to add three or four pieces instead of one, yeah. and they should be doing that as at, at all costs. Mm-hmm. So there we go. The NFC, it's done. Off-season needs, and we're filling them in the draft. We're gonna go. So mock draft. Do you want to try? Do you want to do one on the podcast, or is that? What do you think? Would people Ugh. want that? I don't know. Let us know. Let us know. I, I don't love it, but I could be convinced otherwise. Here's the deal. Uh, next week, Sam and I are gonna do our own podcast. We're gonna switch off pick by pick. Uh, I'm going to do one by myself this week at PFF.com. But next week, Sam and I will switch off. I don't know who has the first pick yet, but we'll uh, we'll flip a coin or something. Um, so we'll go pick by pick at PFF NFL podcast. We'll have a whole podcast about it. But the podcast could either be us on Thursday, live mock drafting, and then we'll write it up for the website next week, or we'll write it up next week and discuss it after the fact. So hashtag let us know. Uh, what you guys would prefer us uh, retroactively looking back and discussing our picks or doing it in real time with the no no i mean you can use that hashtag if you want but also you know messages on twitter because that's how we'll see don't use the hashtag just tell us yes well i'm just saying i'm not going to be looking for that (laughs) hashtag so you're going to need to tweet at me for me to see that at At pff PFF underscore underscore steve Steve. yeah there you go hashtag no hashtag at pff underscore stop stop talking we're done it's been a great podcast sam we'll be back on thursday hit us up let us know what you want to see. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later in the week. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray. In his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. 
It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.